This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. On this podcast, we are going to be going through AHP's 2020 audit. So we're going to be going through one of these financial doc- documents with George Newberry, a long time friend of mine. I think I've been investing in his fund since maybe like 2017 or something. But it's going to be cool going through it with the owner and operator. Just to put everything out there and be totally transparent, George has been sponsoring my podcast since the beginning. If you guys want to learn more about AHP, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash AHP. But I wouldn't be sponsored by someone I don't trust. And fair warning, some of you guys will listen to the podcast or other podcasts and inherently think that, oh, if Lane had him on the podcast or so-and-so was on this other podcast, I guess I can trust him, which is entirely not the case. It's, there's a lot of people just trolling around on podcast land out there. And you guys need to be doing your own due diligence and more importantly, building up your network of other peer passive investors. And that's what the family office of Honor Mastermind is all about. Check it out at simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. And if you guys are listening to this, and if you guys are listening to this on the podcast check out our youtube channel where we're going to be doing a screen share as we go through this pdf document for you guys all right here's the show this is a story about a dude named lane he moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay and then one day he went and tried to rent them out and then he became one real investor man Hey everybody, we are going to be doing a deep dive into the 2020 financial audit of servicing. If you guys haven't heard about this, go to my website at simplepassivecashflow.com. I've known George since 2016. More importantly, I've I've floated uh, 60 to 100 grand in his fund. Got a nice cool return every single month like clockwork. If you guys Go back at simplepassivecashflow.com slash AHP. You'll see all the past webinars we've done on this fund. One of the things I personally invest in. But the the question um, that comes up a lot of times is as a fund, it's hard to determine other than talking to other investors, have they had a good experience? But supposedly the financials are audited, but look around, nobody knows what the heck that means. So we're going to kind of dive into it today and George has got the report up and I guess let's get into it. Welcome, George. Hey, uh, Lane. Thanks for having me on. These reports can be pretty dry and overwhelming. Maybe walk us through what are things, this is the AHP audit, obviously. This is something you can do with any private fund that you're investing in or possibly wanting to invest in. But maybe George, take us through how these reports put together and who does it. How do they go about it? Sure. So we have all regulation A plus companies generally are required to file audited financials with the SEC through their Edgar system. And in fact, I, I believe that's a requirement of most, if not all publicly traded companies. And the reason for it is you want to know if you're investing in a company and like you see in a company, and like you said, you don't know the minutia. What did they invest in today? What did they sell today? So the independent auditors report will be an independent company that's engaged to review all the financial records of the company and then issue a report. And uh, so we do this every year. We've been doing it since we started our first regulation, a plus fund in 2016. And uh, we get these done and then they're filed with the SEC and they can be reviewed there. This was a challenging year, 2020, but this will show how we fared. And then I can go through each page and interpret it. Everyone can interpret it for themselves, but I can certainly share some context about how we did last year and what the state of HP is uh, right now. And of course, this is obviously George is the principal of HP and you guys can look at the numbers on your own. 
own, but as I always do it, like with our apartments, we have the P&Ls and all the line items. I usually look at a certain things. I personally do it and we'll see how kind of George does it. But you guys can obviously dig through this stuff on your own. Yep. I'll try to add some color so it may um, all make sense. And certainly if you're an investor HP or even if you're in questions on it or anything else about HP to reach out to us and we can assist. We're at hpservicing.com. And this little plug in there, James. I'll dive in and go through this. This is Richie May. That's our, our auditor. You can choose through any, there's a number of auditors in the country. Richie May has a lot of expertise in the mortgage industry, which is why we chose them. They do a lot of mortgage um, servicers, originators, companies that invest in mortgages. They have a lot of experience. There's a whole bunch. You can access this. This is on the SEC's website. We can also provide you a copy. If you go SEC filings or Edgar, HP servicing, you'll see all our filings since the beginning of when we first filed with the SEC in order to do the HP servicing offering. So that's on there. 2015 A plus is on there. And this first page is simply some background on the audit and the auditor disclosures and whatnot. So not really too much meat there, but it's only something that anyone is welcome to, to read. Same with the second page, but then you get to the meat, start out with the balance sheet, and then we'll get to the uh, profit and loss. But basically it's showing in this report what we held on our balance sheet at the uh, December 30th, and then we'll get to the uh, profit and loss. But basically it's showing in this report what we held on our balance sheet at the uh, December 31st of 2020. And it also compares it to what we held on our balance sheet on uh, December 31st, 2019. At the end of the year, we had 665,000 in cash. Now, some of these are fairly easy. I'm going to mention them anyway. So cash end of the year, 665,000. We had an escrow cash of over $3 million. So as our servicing portfolio has grown, so we're servicing both loans that we own and that third parties own. We do continue to hold more and more cash and in escrow. Accounts receivable, this is money that we've advanced sometimes on behalf of third parties. So if somebody has a loan that we're servicing, we may advance money on their behalf to let's say pay a legal bill or pay taxes. It's typically repaid the next month when their uh, remittance comes through and we can apply the payments that they receive against the amount that we've advanced. In this case, it's almost a million bucks, $922,000. Here's the biggest item though, is mortgages that we held for sales. And they categorize basically all the mortgages that we purchased as held for sale. These totals, you can see just over $37 million. I'm looking right, $37 million in mortgages. Now, a uh, key item to understand is this is basically what we pay for the mortgage. So if we buy a mortgage where a uh, family owes $100,000 and the home is worth you know $150,000 and we buy that mortgage for $50,000 using very round numbers, then it's booked at 50,000, even though they owe, owe 150. We book it at what we paid. We don't realize a gain or a loss until the asset is actually disposed of. This 37 million is, is what we actually paid for those loans. Uh, note receivable third party. This is if we make any advances on loans that we actually own or to entities that we're related to. I'd say specifically like 2015A plus, if we made advances on tax or legal or anything for them, that would be included in there. Prepaid expenses. If we paid prepaid any expenses on behalf of the company that we expect for services that have not yet been rendered, that would be in the $300,000. Other assets, property and equipment, any kind of computer equipment, servers would be included in there. Deposits, probably our security deposit, $40,000. In the end, $45 million in assets. Now, what do we owe? We have out 1.3 million in, in payables. So these could be any kind of bills that we owe. 1.1 million in escrow liability. So this is in all likelihood, this escrow that we're holding, $3 million, it's probably offset by, we probably owe some of that. So 1.1 is likely money that we owe that reduces that cash probably down to 1.9. Short-term debt, we borrowed money on a credit line or something like that, short-term, $662, I'm sorry, $662,000. Long-term debt 
if we are long-term note, we had last year, we bought a lot of loans. We spent almost 50 million at the end of the year. I think we bought a significant number and we borrowed $14 million against the, the notes that we purchased. In fact, that was all incurred in the last six months of last year. What is, uh, what is like the number of the average loan, the value on that stuff and then the rate? It's very light leverage still. Oh, it's very light leverage. Yeah. We bought about in the last six months. The performing stuff to use. We just use it to, we had enough money to close. So basically we bought about $50 million. I think it was 48 million and change that we spent for loans where the amount due on the loans was about hundred million. The property values back in those loans was about 120. That's what we purchased between July, 2020 and February, 2021. That's pretty aggressive for us. And we bought these at great prices. I think on average, we're talking about 50 cents on those. And again, you look back to last June through November, which is when we made the deal. Some of them didn't actually close to February for different reasons, but that's when we made the deal and set the pricing. It was still pretty uncertain. The real estate market was surprisingly doing well, but I don't think people would consider it. We're acknowledging that it was doing great. And so as we kept buying, the pricing was very attractive. And we're seeing that some of those loans were exiting right now in 2021 at significant markups. Uh, because back then you, you buy a loan, it's based on What's the value of the underlying property? Back then, you, you buy a loan, it's based on what's the value of the underlying property. And if that value goes up, people are willing to pay more. And also, if we ever sell the property, let's say we get an REO or a deed in lieu, and we're selling it, we thought it was worth 100 last year, and now it's worth 120 and we're selling it. That's great. So we're seeing a ton of that happening now. And I think we'll continue to see that through, I would expect certainly this year and, and probably sometime into next year. I, I imagine there'll be a, a point where this goes the other direction. And in my mind, strategically, we want to sell as much as possible today. If we get an REO, it will sell at a big premium, typically over what we paid for it, whether it was last year, early this year, or even or, or before COVID. But also all the loans that we modified, we didn't sell loans since I came back as CEO in, in mid 2019, I said, Hey, no more loan sales. Let's just hold everything we had. And we did that. But now these loans where we modified the loan and people are paying, we're now selling modified the loan and people are paying. We're now selling these loans at the averages. Most of these are selling for over 90 cents, which we typically bought them at 50 to 60 cents or less. So that's resulting in some uh, significant gains this month. We're selling about 5 million. Next month, we're selling about 9 million and we're working on another pool that are probably closing in July or August. Those should provide some significant liquidity and we're hardly buying anything right now because we see so few opportunities out there that have attractive pricing. So back to the audit. So members equity, that's how much equity is in the company, $27 million. They add up the liabilities and the equity to come up with a total of $45 million. Now profit and loss. How did we do last year? We lost money. We earned asset management fees of 209, loan servicing fees of 609, interest income of 921, gain on, on sale of mortgages, 724, other income 163. So we made $2.6 million last year, significantly offset by expenses. We had a thousand admin, 90604, uh, professional services like attorneys, just over a million dollars, advertising. 115,000, depreciation 133, interest expense 402. Uh, so total loss of 4.4. Now, why is that? Why would we lose, we'd be losing money? Well, AHP servicing is two things, or the money that we raise goes for two purposes. One is uh, to buy mortgage loans. Two is to build out a national uh, mortgage servicer. So that's why we're all these salaries. That's because we have uh, a national mortgage servicer 
that we built, which is licensed everywhere except for the state of New York. We're still working on getting our license in the state of New York. It has taken a, a long time. If you've been following my journey, I've been selling my initial real property and transitioning into syndication deals lately for a more purely passive investment strategy. One critical part of my portfolio is the American Home Preservation Fund, or what folks in the Hui call AHP for short. George Newberry, once apartment owner, operator, and mentor to me, is now sponsoring the podcast. His private fund, which by the way also accepts non-accredited investors, cuts the middlemen out and allows you to invest directly with him to fight the mortgage crisis in America. Join him by purchasing distressed mortgages while getting a double-digit annual return paid monthly. Find something else better out there? Well, let me know. Feel good knowing that you are helping families stay in their home after buying their underwater note at a huge discount. Invest as low as $100 by going to ahpservicing.com investors. And if you want the free burn zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. Where's the interest paid to the, the investors? Which is that is... Where's the, the interest paid to the, the investors? Which is that is distribution. So next page right here. Okay. So we can jump there right now. Member equity. This is, we'll go for each year. We started out in the first year, we were active for two months. We raised 3.9 million. And then the next year we had $15.7 million come in as investments in 2019. We distributed uh, 4.3 million. So at the end of 2019, we had $12.9 million outstanding to investors. That rose a lot through 2020. We raised over $20 million and we distributed around a million dollars. We didn't do too many redemptions. So we distributed just over a million dollars and we lost $4.4 million. So basically think about this. When we raise, we're always bringing in money every day from interest payments. We're bringing in money from lo loans that are sold, REOs that are sold. I shouldn't say loans that are sold, like short sales, REO sales. And so that's the money distributions. Uh, overall, still, we lost $4.4 million last year. So our total outstanding to investors right now, 27, or right now as of December 31st, $27 million. The 10% back to investors, 1% every month, which line is that again? It'll be member distributions right here, 1.1 million. Okay, so that didn't skip a beat. It came a little tough in March and April. And bear in mind, roughly half of our investors, because we're still in the capital raising phase, reinvest their money. So they simply, instead of getting money out the door, that money's added to their investments. So with the Reg A um, plus offering, you go out to a whole bunch of the masses. How many investors is in this whole? There's over 1,300 investors. Wow. There's so you send George an email and don't expect an answer. Yeah, I know. We have our investor relations. Michael DeStacio is our primary contact in investor relations. He's the one who's normally responding to emails, phones, and other outreach. If you email me, I'll usually forward it to, to Michael unless it's something that's particularly out of the ordinary. I think you've told me this before, but now that we have the financials up, what is your logic on like how much cash to keep on hand to be able to go after a good opportunity? Or do you just raise it? We just raise it or we borrow it if we get caught short and we have a closing like that's next week or at the end of the month or something like that. So we don't have, okay, we always want to keep a certain amount of cash on reserve. Literally money does come in every single day. We usually know if there's a big purchase coming up that if we get over short money, we can usually borrow it on a short-term basis. So I'm not 
keeping cash on hand, we're paying investors a return on that. So I don't try to keep anything significant. Or dilute your investor pool. Exactly. What, what is there a certain percent number that you'd like to keep as cash? No, it's a couple hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars. I think people will get nervous if they say, "Oh, we only have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank," just because there's always pay. Just as money comes in every day, there's bills that come in, and once in a while, it's like an emergency. Hey, we got to cover this taxes today or something like that. So there's always typically a hundred or hundred or two hundred, lots of times more. And we try to manage that. Sometimes we'll get significant payoffs or, or REOs or significant money comes in uh, or investments come in, and it's not readily deployed. We sweep that money to a money market account, so we're earning some anemic rate of interest, but at least there's a little bit of money versus sitting in the kind of operating account where it earns zero. So that's done yeah. regularly. It doesn't add up to much, but it's something. Just a, it's a, I guess a personal question. What do you think about sweeping that money into a BlockFi or like how Elon is putting money in Bitcoin? Uh-huh. What is your thoughts on that? Yeah. I'm sure it goes against the PPM. Yeah, you're right. In our SEC offerings statement, we'd have to disclose that. Yeah. I don't know. I guess the only reason to keep cash on hand is because we may have needs payables and stuff like that, acquisitions, but it is not, I'd be a little nervous if we did that and then it wasn't readily available when we needed it. And so I think these sit in the bank, either in in an operating account or in a money market account and definitely not Bitcoin. I don't know how it's doing today. I was reading on the news the other day. It seemed to get into how did the business go last year? I know you mentioned March and April and I feel your pain. I was a little afraid myself of what would happen with collections and March came and then I was really afraid in April, right? Because that was when the lag happened. You would think people exhausted their cash reserves in their bank accounts and maybe can't pay rent. But yeah, take us through 2020. March and April were really tough. And even in May, we were anxious that this was it. We had seen a big run up for years, ever since the 2008, 9, 10, 11. Uh, things started creeping up in 12 and 13 and primarily real estate values increasing. And that had gone on for a long time, 18, 19. I kept thinking it was going to turn. And and then COVID hit. I thought, okay, this is it. There's usually a trigger that emotionally people say, that's it. Things are collapsing. And I was braced for that. And I was really concerned because we have tens of millions of dollars in assets and the potential, they they could have gone down 10, 20, 30%. And that would have been, would have been, have a significant negative impact. But the opposites happened. They've gone up 10, 20, 30%. And I, I don't think anybody ex- expected that in March and April when our phones suddenly start lighting up from customers who were historically paying. And now they're saying, I just can't pay. I've been laid off. Uh, I, I don't even remember the number in unemployment, if I recall correctly, it was spiking into the 10 million, 20 million, some huge numbers. And if I'm recalling correctly, and all of a sudden, a lot of people were laid off. A lot of people couldn't pay. We were giving forbearances because th- these are people that historically were paying income interrupted. They needed a couple, a little break, but now our income started drying up. And then most challenging is we we had a decent number of REOs. When an REO sells, that's a big infusion of cash, anywhere from tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands. And that stopped in most parts of the country, many parts of the country, we couldn't complete a, a sale. We couldn't get the deed. Some of the county recorders closed. Uh, the sheriffs maybe had the deed from a foreclosure. That went on for months. So it really challenged our cash flow. But we started seeing funds also getting nervous and they started selling uh, loans. So in June, we said, hey, we're going to start buying opportunistically. And that's turned out to be a good bet. And things have gone up significantly since then. And now it's the opposite side. For uh, seven, eight months, we were aggressively buying every dollar. We were paying it distributions, but just about every other dollar we had, we were buying loans. And now it's the opposite. The last pool of loans we bought of significance was in February. 
Right now we're selling aggressively everything we can sell. Everything that's REO will sell. Everything that's a performing loan that's been, we modified and is now performing, we sell. There's no extra value we can add to either of those situations. And to exit into this market is great. The loans that we hold that are unresolved, that we're still working on the homeowner with a modification or to complete a foreclosure, any of those things we're holding on to, we're going to take them to a resolution and then sell them. And again, those things we're holding on to, we're going to take them to a resolution and then sell them. And again, we're not buying. So what we have is what we're focusing on. I really want to get these things max resolved as many as possible and sold by the end of this year. And I think for the next six, seven months to get to the end of the year, it'd be a great opportunity to sell. You mentioned you sold some of your apartment buildings. I imagine you did, you did well, probably a lot better than you thought when COVID first hit that things you could sell stuff so strongly. We're doing that. And I think the buying opportunities will be limited and what you can buy there's certainly stuff to buy, but you have to pay a lot. And so we will be on the sidelines as a buyer, but be out there aggressively selling. And I think that will be, is the thing to do. There's time to buy and a time to sell. I think right now is the time to sell. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think there might be a divergence within like residential stuff, which you guys work with. And then the commercial assets, like I haven't mm -hmm. seen the run up in prices in commercial assets, maybe like a quarter point across the board of cap rates lowering, which by the way, to you guys means that's like the residential realm. That's why I'm like, I lower my like waterline for like people to buy turnkeys. To me, buying turnkeys make absolutely no sense yeah. right now. But so if I were to understand how you're thinking and summarize it, you're thinking this is an opportunity to sell residential properties. What do you think? A lot of people in the middle of the pandemic, in the summertime, were creating a lot of videos, the YouTubers, God love them, right? They're always doing those tweetable or those, those uh -huh. SEO terms where the world's going to end. There's going to be those yep. foreclosures. Is that really going to happen? Where are you putting your money? I put my money on that. I, I think there will be a big disruption. I think I was in Dallas, Texas last week for a couple of conferences, had a meeting with some a manager of a billion dollar fund. And we were talking about what, what they're thinking. And it, it lines up with what I'm thinking. This cycle will end. And we're not sure if it's going to end in six months, 12 months, 18 months. But this high end of the cycle will end. And then it will go the other way. And, and the manager's words it will lead to an extended period of depreciation and we'll see these prices these prices steadily uh decline oh and his thought was late this decade our economy is really weak right now and the fundamentals are not good i think there'll be some significant uh challenges ahead uh, they're not reflected in the current real estate market but at some point they will be and, and most of the rosiness today is the result of, of a good chunk of it is government intervention which is the record low interest rates or near record low and then all the the stimulus money that's been pumped into the, into the the, the economy uh, over the last year that's been I, I think that's there'll be another side to this that will pay for it I think about 2005 six seven it was such a dramatic run-up there had to be a turn and eventually it, it turned in, in late 07 and, and through 08. And it became a, people were at that point, you got to 09, 10, people were looking back at 07 and 08 and, and 06 and thinking, what were they thinking? Why did they think this would keep going up? Why were they paying so much for houses? Six and thinking, what were they thinking? Why did they think this would keep going up? Why were they paying so much for houses? And, and I think right now, fast forward a year, two years, three years, at some point, there's going to be people looking back and saying, what were they thinking in, in, in 2021? People are paying for assets, be it a mortgage or, or real estate. I'm happy to sell into that market. In fact, I'm thrilled to sell in that market, but I'd be really scared as a buyer 
um, having to buy. And I know talking to some of the funds, they have to buy. They have money, they can't not use it. And so they have to buy. They're buying with expectations of very modest yields, like low single digits. So they, they have to be getting four or 5%. And that is not even three and a half percent people. It's better, either they have a super cheap cost of capital, which some of them do, or it's better than you know not investing the money at all. But I'd be nervous if, they, if you buy something and you're getting a three, four, 5% return, and then the market turns and suddenly you lose, uh, you erode your principal, that would be challenging. So my thought, if you own real estate or you own that type of asset, with the exception of probably hospitality or, or office buildings, which are probably, you sell in today's market, you probably won't do well, but everything else by and large, not a residential real estate, anything to, to do with that, I think it's definitely time to be a, be a seller. Do you think it all indication because of the stimulus money and things move slowly, won't we have pretty high, maybe single digit GDP growth these next couple of quarters, at least? Yeah, so, it could, that could be the case. But I think it's slightly artificial just because of the stimulus. I think that's driving it. It's not the that the economy is doing as great as, as the numbers may reflect. So at some point, maybe once that burns off, people are going to have struggling to pay their mortgages and that's going to start the, the foreclosure and then. Perhaps they come and move into our apartments. <laughs> yeah, a reversal. The reality is, think about this. The reality is there's millions of families who are having trouble making their payments right now. You just wouldn't know it necessarily because there's million, There's a significant number um, of million, there's millions that are in some kind of forbearance or other type of uh, payment plan. And that is, that is uh, in my mind, is masking the underlying challenges, which will, you know, once the foreclosure moratoriums end, once, you know, the forbearances and is pulling up the covers, what's really going on down here? And I think that's when we'll start seeing some disruption. That'll be a trigger. Now, what concerns me and what we're trying to get ahead of is once these foreclosure moratoriums lift, there will be, and my expectation is that there will be millions of loans that are suddenly moving through the foreclosure process that will clog the courts, that will just clog the whole system. Now, what if we have a loan today and we've exhausted the options of a modification or any type of consensual solution, we are trying to move that forward as fast as possible and also as far as possible, recognizing that in some cases we can't complete the foreclosure because of some kind of restriction like a moratorium. And so we move it to that point and then the foreclosure moratoriums lift and we can, we're far along in the process. And part of it, there is a little bit of it that I'll just deal with this once they can actually foreclose on the home. And then I will be more, then maybe I'll do a mod or something like that. And that's fine. We'll work on some mods then, but some people are just not responding to any kind of outreach today because they know that we can't uh, foreclose on their home. And that's a little bit frustrating. It's the way it is. And we will reckon with it. But I think there's a lot of struggles right now, families that are hidden by all the government intervention, the foreclosure moratoriums, this extra stimulus money, the extra unemployment money. There's a lot of stuff that is propping this country's economy up. And I think that kick out a couple of stilts and we'll start seeing some adjustments and things won't be so rosy and people won't be making you know multiple offers, sight unseen, no contingencies, all the stuff that we're seeing today, which is great if you're a seller, but not so good if you're the buyer who is, is looking in two years and saying, oh my gosh, I owe 20% more than my house is worth which is what happened last time. And then people stop paying. And then people who aren't even in trouble say, I'm not going to pay because I owe 20% more than my house is worth. It doesn't make sense, which is what happened last time. And then it just starts the other way. Sounds good to me because I got a couple more properties, single family homes that I've reluctantly done the first strategy with. will probably sell here in the next year, hopefully. And I think that'll be great timing for me. Yeah, exit. My message is to sell what you can. For HP servicing, we have two things. One is we built the servicer partially in anticipation that you know we want to be ready for the next turn and for the next downturn. And we will be here once there's all that disruption occurs, 
we expect that our servicing portfolio will significantly grow. And now we can grow as a company. So that's a period. Those periods of disruption is where you can take market share away from the market leaders and hopefully become a market leader ourselves. And that's when you guys start licking your chops with all that yeah, stress out there. Exactly. It's just, it's an opportunity to make money, but it's also an opportunity to help people. They can be one in the same thing. And our intention is to do that. One of the big questions that my folks have asked me, or they, they ask, I get a question like this somewhere every month is AHP's redemptions. And some people are just like, seriously, dude, seriously, dude, it's not like a freaking bank. You can't just put money in a fund and expect it to come back out. Maybe comment on, there was a big, a lot of people that panicked, right? In the beginning of COVID that wanted their money back. And it's just, that's not how it worked, guys. I know that we had one internet troll that was like, HP is horrible. Ah. Like, like, and you look at their profile and it's just, who's this? There was one guy who had a hundred dollar investment who was waiting on his redemption. He was like every place he could go. He was like, this is terrible. It was a hundred dollar investment. So here's where we are with redemptions. That's why non-accredited investors, you don't want them. Yeah, we do, but uh, we didn't expect this to happen. uh, Here's what happened. We offered redemptions, best efforts, redemptions. So if somebody requests their money back, we would undertake our best efforts to redeem that money within 30 days. And we started offering them in 2016 with the first regulation A plus offering 2015 A plus, and we were able to consistently do them within 30 days. And COVID hits, we had, and, and, and COVID hits, we had, and, and that's what I did. I, I took a redemption at one time. I needed mm-hmm. to take some money and go into a syndication deal that was more long term. That was more of an equity deal, and then I put the money back. I think I took a month or two to process it. That was the reason why I went into the fund because there's like, there's nothing out there that has something that even resembles redemption. But I knew very well, I'm a responsible investor, informed investor knowing that, Hey, it's up to you guys to see if it works. But the most important thing is the fund and the whole investor base. Exactly. I'm glad you brought that up because last year we could have uh, just simply said, Hey, we're just going to not buy anything. And every dollar we get our hands on, return it to, that comes in in revenue, return it to investors. But for the investors that are staying in this, that are in it for the long haul, that would have been the best strategy. We were seeing great opportunities. We spent a lot of money last year, almost $50 million or over the period from July 2020 to February 2021 in buying loans. And those investments could be paying off very well this year as we resolve them. But now our focus is returning money. We don't see opportunities. You're absolutely right. We have to look out what's best for the company. And uh, we want to honor redemptions. I think we'll be back to honoring redemptions within 30 days this summer. And right now, without buying anything new and of significance and selling as much as we can, we're starting to see big cash come in, in a nutshell, on the redemptions. So we're having big cash come in, and we are starting to redeem significantly. And this month, I think we're going to process around 200 redemptions, uh, a couple million dollars. There's probably another $2 million that we probably right at the end of this month. And then through late June, July, I expect we'll probably have about close to $8 million that'll come in uh, and a good chunk of that can go to redemptions as well. Just curious, because you had a big backlog, right? And they were sitting in there when you're like, hey, Lane, it's your turn. What percentage of people are actually following through now that we're we're on the other side of COVID? It's like, you're just getting scared. You're absolutely right. I think yesterday uh, we sent out about 100 emails to investors able to to redeem. We're seeing about 25%, maybe even a little bit more that are saying, hey, don't worry about it. And and they don't need it anymore. So that's fine. That means we just move down the road to to additional investors. We have currently, and, and ever since COVID started, we've been processing redemptions in the order received. Whoever requested earliest, 
those are the ones getting redeemed. And uh, we got wildly behind in March and April last year. We had a huge uh, number of redemption requests. But now we chipped away at it through the year. Now we're making uh, big strides. And I think we'll start seeing over the next couple of months, the getting actually caught up and be back to the point of where we are uh, redeeming within 30 days. Yeah, it's higher than I thought. I mean, I thought it'd be more like half, but the surprise, how many people actually follow through. Yeah, no, actually a fair amount. Yesterday we sent out 100. I'm not sure what the number previously it's been more modest numbers. I'd say about 25%, maybe a little bit more. Based on what we had through the beginning of, through the end of last month, we forecast a 25% will cancel. It, it may even go up. And you're right, cancel. It, it may even go up. And you're right. I had, wasn't really focused on it, but now that COVID is easing, people seeing the market NHP getting stronger, I think they start thinking, oh, just leave it in there. You That's find out totally who your true friends are. I understand. Some people were calling in, hey, I need money for payroll. I got a margin call because you remember a year ago or, or when COVID first hit, the stock market was wildly you know, fluctuating and a lot of people lost a lot of money and they needed to cover stuff. So I get it. And people also, you mentioned big landlords, their forecasts were like a huge number of people were not going to be paying rent. That never really materialized as much. Certainly it was an impact, but it wasn't as severe, I think, as people uh, were nervous about. But all those things were factors. And I certainly understand people's concerns, but people needed to bail. We've done our best. I appreciate patience from those investors. And I think to the extent you still need the money, we are working on getting those back and, and we'll probably be completely caught up in the next couple of months. Maybe part of that's my fault too, because I wrote that article, schoolpassivecashflow.com slash fund. Uh-huh. I use you guys as like an opportunity to come by. And this is a lesson learned on my part. I should not have the expectation to get at that money within a couple of months. I need to have some other dry powder elsewhere. A lot of people, I do know a lot of rehabbers and investors who they get close a sale, they would put the money with us and it worked pretty well through, we were able to get the money back promptly before COVID hit. And I think it worked. So people needed the money, Hey, I entered under contract. I need the money in, in a month or two. They got it, but COVID hit and that was no longer the issue. So what's coming up next? I'm in that other fund that gives 12% because I was one of the early adopters. You're kicking me out now. Uh, our first fund, you're right. Our first regulation A plus fund was 12%. And that's 2015 A plus. It's been closed to investment since 2018. It's now been five years, or I should say not now. Next month in June, it will be five years since we launched that fund. And that is the end of that investment term. So we will start redeeming those investors who've been in there for five years starting next month. But it coincides. I mean, the timing is actually good. We're catching up with the old redemption. It's the end of that investment term. So we will start redeeming those investors who've been in there for five years starting next month. But it coincides. I mean, the timing is actually good. We're catching up with the old redemptions. We now start redeeming people who haven't even asked their money back, but it is five years. We want to honor what we agreed to at the beginning, which is we're going to return. Our goal is to return our money within five years. Now, the the good news to that, you may see it as bad news, but the we have another fund that will be opening up, which is AHP title. And people are welcome. To, we're sending out emails just like we're sending out right now for redemptions. Hey, your money is due to be redeemed. We now have money available to redeem it. You can either have the money back or if you elect, we can invest it in the new fund, which is AHP title, which should go live probably in July, maybe in end of June. And that one pays 7%. So it is a return that I think that's better in line with what the market is today. So that goes live. As soon as that goes live, we close investment into AHP servicing and we open it up into AHP title. So that's the reality is 7% in today's market is a strong return. Five years, they're going to contact me in a year or so. Yeah, the five years comes from when you first invested. I don't remember the exact time that you invested, but whenever that was, it'd be five years from them. Now that said, our goal is to start, we've been behind on redemptions. We're catching up. 
we're going to get to the point where we're caught up and within 30 days, and now we're redeeming those investors that are maturing on five years. But our goal, I, I see it now, us getting ahead and actually returning money even before the five years, that'd be our goal. And the reality is the there's very little opportunities to redeploy that money. There's very few buying opportunities. As a result, the best thing we can do for the company is to return the money, even that, if that's earlier than the five years, rather than continue to pay uh, 12%. And the opportunities to, to deploy that money right now are, are typically under 12%. I'm enjoying my time in that first fund house. So you just take <laughs> your time redeeming me out. I'm fine hanging out. But if I'm reading between the lines here and, and for the people who have actually stayed to the end of this dang video. So what I, if I'm, you're smart, you're in the first fund and you have some liquidity, liquidity, you throw it in the current fund servicing before it closes. That's the ninja. Actually thing. what we do, there's actually some investors that figure that out too. And, and it's not figured out in a good way or bad way, but uh, today you could redeem your 12% um, investment and put it in the um, current fund, which is pays 10%. So absolutely. You could do that. And now your question is, will they align? If you want to do that, you probably should get your request in because the question is, and there's a, a reasonable likelihood of who knows the time is going to be pretty close, but if you put a redemption in today, there's a decent chance that you could transfer it into 2015, a plus from 2015, a plus into AHP servicing and earn the 10% instead of the 7%. Okay. I'm now gonna, you're going to have everyone requesting redemptions tomorrow. I'm going to add questions now so <laughs> nobody catches on to what's going on. The whole new fund is going to be 7%, which I think is pretty decent out there because mm -hmm. yields are going down. People are chasing yields. They're looking for some safe places to put their capital. And it is what it is. If you guys can find something better with some redemption possibility, let me know. Better with some redemption possibility, let me know. Lane at simplepassacashflow.com. I'd like to invest my money in that. But you can't really find anything out there that does the same thing at least in an audited, legitimate company. You can invest in House Flipper Harry that also is working his uh, engineering job on the side, flip a house, give him a private money lending note. But I think our friends with suits would probably call that junk bonds or bad paper. But but yeah, any other questions I think you get asked a lot? Lately, those are the main ones. And so we still have a lot of investors coming into HP servicing. Right now we finance, so we're not really buying aggressively on the market, but we do have a platform called preario.com. Right now, HP Servicing is financing uh, the loans where people are putting down 25% and we're financing the 75%. So we're doing that and that earns us a modest markup. And uh, so that's basically it. I think a closing note, everything we're doing right now uh, as a servicer is HP Servicing and soon to be HP Title is to gear up for what I talked about a bit. We expect there to be significant disruption and, and significant opportunity. There will be our hit. We've built this national servicer. We have a reputation for resolving distressed deals. Right now, there's limited distress, so uh, not as much a demand for our services. Fast forward a year or thereabouts, we expect that there'll be a significant demand for extraordinary demand for our services, and we want to be prepared for that. So that's what we are. Our big focus is here. Have you ever thought about doing like a growth fund, a little bit more higher risk, but they get equity upside and then comboing that with like the current fund that you guys do now when the impending actions happen or like that market conditions happen? No, I think we're going to move right now. Everything we're trying to do is to be prepared for that next downturn. And I think we've been buying, and I know I've shared this with you and your audience before, we've historically bought the most challenged loans where we get the greatest discounts. And then we try to create value and add value to them. And that's uh, worked, but it's also means everything's a customized solution. It's less, we try to create value and add value to them. And that's uh, worked, but it's also means everything's a customized solution. It's less scalable, repeatable as we would like, you know, trying to grow and scale this. And how do we best scale? So our HP titles focus 
will be to buy uh, defaulted mortgages, just like we've always done, except only government-backed defaulted mortgages. So think FHA, VA, USDA, and these are where there's government guarantees. We'll probably pay more, but there's a government backing. We're going to be able to, to the extent money's lost, we can, we can uh, make a claim, that backing. And these ones, we see a big opportunity there. It becomes much more repeatable, much more scalable. We can't customize as much. We're going to need to follow the FHA guidelines or the USDA guidelines or the VA guidelines in order to how we interact with the customers. But we think we can you know, use our high touch expertise and still work within the government guidelines and then turn in claims for, for when we don't recover all the money. And, and we buy these discounts. There's a built-in, we're eventually going to get X amount of dollars, depending on the backing that becomes more repeatable and scalable. I see that's where our big growth is. That all said, we probably won't have, we're actually going lower risk than higher risk, mostly because we want to scale the whole operation. That's like me buying class B assets, as opposed to slumming it into class C with the headaches. It's exactly right. Your potential return is lower, but it's something you can yeah. do a lot more of. That is exactly the same thing. I see we're both evolving in different ways. In daddy syndrome. Exactly. It's uh, less... Uh, more conservative, less headaches. Hopefully, <laughs> neither of us will be working you know, around the clock. Yeah, exactly. Wanna... George, you want to put your information out there? People get a hold of you guys. If, sure. if you guys want to learn more about AHP, you can check out our old videos at simplepassivecashflow.com slash AHP. But George, why don't you guys drop the... You guys always change the URLs for the new funds, but what is it? It's ahpservicing.com is where the current fund is open. And reach out to us there, ahpservicing.com. All our contact information is there. And and you can invest online or reach out to us with questions. Guys, thanks for listening. And I hope this was useful. I know a lot of us in our group invest in AHP. They got a little nice liquidity, sort of semi-liquidity there. And for a nice monthly yield. Thanks for joining us, George. We'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, hey. Lane. I'll talk to you later. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for